From Bossier City, Louisiana, this is the Grouch and the Brainstorm. This is the Grouch and the Brainstorm. I'm Matt. I'm here with Jennifer. And we are doing another bonus episode. This time we have one of our regulars, Jill. And we're going to start by letting her introduce herself. Kind of give her a sobriety date and kind of the beginning. And then Jennifer and I are just going to grill her uh, on her story. So Let's do it. All right. Go um, well, hey guys, I'm Jill. I'm alcoholic. And uh, my sobriety date is February 15th, 2010. What a day. What a year. <laughs> um, so my story, I mean, I didn't grow up in a house with, um, you know, my parents weren't alcoholics. And um, like I said, I had a really good childhood. Um, I really did. But I just feel that things just went weird when I turned 15. Um my grandfather had passed away in our house that year and my parents were in the middle of a divorce and you know as a child or a teenager I guess I just internalized everything that was going on did you feel forgotten about maybe gosh I don't know I mean I got my car that year and that's when I tried you know alcohol for the first time and I was just like yeah for the first time that was a lie i meant that's like when i had my like first drunk um my first drink i was probably around 12 and this was at a christmas party and we just could not stop drinking the champagne from downstairs and we just kept drinking it like all night um but uh, my first drunk was when i was 15 you know my mom had moved out of the house and my sister went with her uh, but something had happened to my mom like moved back in and my grandmother and my grandfather moved in into our house while my grandfather died from lung cancer and so by that time in my life you know I'd given up already on quite a few things like my education I, I was not doing well in school um, I was hanging around a pretty rough crowd and I just started drinking uh, and I and I liked it because it kind of was an escape I had fun, and, you know, I I was, gosh, when I, you know, look back on it, I was doing some really horrible things. The first time that I got in trouble with the law, um, I was 15, and I got uh, arrested for vandalism, and so that's the kind of stuff I was doing, like destroying property, and I remember doing that when I was in eighth grade as well. Um destroying someone's landscaping one night and I just I felt so good just to tear shit up eighth grade and so um I just kept on doing that I had my my little tag all over town everywhere I went I was right this it. was in Arkansas right no so we moved back to Shreveport in 1980 okay, okay. and so I grew up here pretty much yeah Shreveport okay. Bossier area and so yeah no this was here and um I had a problem with vandalism and putting my name all I mean actually my my tag which was not exactly my name but uh I was uh very defiant and when I started drinking I started drinking whiskey uh, I was drinking a lot of secret seven and I started smoking uh cigarettes and I started smoking pot all pretty much at the same time and uh I just I didn't feel so great about alcohol at first because, I mean, I got, I drank, God, 
first time I got drunk, it was Strawberry Hill. And I remember, like, not being able to walk. I'm, I'm like, crawling in my front yard with vomit all over my um, my shirt. And my parents, like, oh, my God, what the hell's wrong with you? And I couldn't even hold my head up to tell them. Or I couldn't even talk. So they just put me to bed. But that's how I drank from my first drunk was, like, alcoholically. And... Um, you know, I know that when, you know, I tried marijuana, I was like, man, I really like this stuff. And I, I wouldn't be high for the rest of my life. So I drank, I started drinking and smoking quite a bit. I mean, of course, it started off on the weekends, then it started bleeding into the weekdays. And then by the time I was like 16, I was, or, I was already using daily. Um, and I wasn't supposed to graduate it, with my class, I was actually uh, not doing so well. I was failing a class, and they were like, you don't get your shit together. You're not going to pass. I mean, you're not going to graduate. And I was like, oh, God. So somehow I graduated, and um, I don't know. It just, I was, what, 17, graduating. I didn't know where I was going to go in life. I felt really lost. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And so I just, you know, went to Bipsy for a little while. But that's when I got into illicit drugs, Um and when I say illicit, all the above. Uh, turned into a little rave kid and was going to New Orleans and Dallas quite a bit, going to raves and uh, tons of, like I said, illicit drugs. I was dating drug dealers and um, some really, really crazy stuff was happening. Um, I did that for a couple of years till I had a complete nervous breakdown, like <laughs> completely lost my shit. Um, and it, it was drug-induced, but uh, I had my first panic attack. And I had been on stimulants and hallucinogens and all kinds of stuff for quite a while on a daily basis. And my, I think my body just broke down. My mind broke down. I couldn't, I couldn't deal with it anymore. So I went to a, like a string of inpatient facilities, um, not necessarily working on the, you know, substance issues because they were like, yeah, you seriously have a problem. I mean, I was, what? 19 at this point and wow. um but the thing was like I was there to for you to fix my panic attack so I could go about my business I did not have a problem and I told them that and they um called me out and I was just like you know what I don't care what you guys think I can quit anytime so could I ask you this yeah when you were doing all the raves and the illicit drugs yeah were you still drinking at the time too no. or did you separate the two in in interesting question so yeah when I um, started getting to illicit drugs I was like why would I drink when I had this I stopped drinking for for a couple of years um, until I had that panic attack and I realized I couldn't do those stimulants and all those kind of substances while having panic attacks so that's when I switched my you know drugs of choice from all that to beer and Xanax wow I, I did a I did a stint of that too yeah yeah i'm with you on the drug thing i use the beer to stay hydrated you know if that makes any sense it was just kind of i just uh, on, i thought i found something better it's like why would i drink there's this a song that says there are there are higher highs you know and i think people yes, that are. are alcohol people and and the, the alcohol has is is bad yeah but there are difference you know and some of the you folks listening understand that but yeah yeah, it so can be a whole other monster. I, you know? I was, I had this total, because I'm naturally panicky and anxious mm -hmm. person. 
Um, I think the one time I did smoke marijuana, it was laced and I didn't know it. And I, I don't even know why it, teenager in the 90s would have a Pink Floyd poster on their wall but I did and um I saw shit coming out of it and so it scared the crap out of me yeah. so I could and to be honest with you I couldn't graduate to those those more designer party favors um because I was too chicken shit but I knew I knew I knew what alcohol would do yeah sure. and so I knew the out. I mean, I didn't know what I was doing when I would drink yeah. it, but I knew. Hey, I was always up to try something. I mean, I was yeah, like, I sure, was you, got, you got this. I'm going to try it. You got mm -hmm. this. I'm going to try it. And I, and I pretty much did everything. I mean, no lie. And so yeah. um, actually by that time, you know, I'm 19. I'm also, you know, I'd been out of school. I'd been in school. I'd go work. And I just, I still didn't know who I was or what I wanted to do. And I really like felt like, Drew Barrymore connected with her, you know, and she wrote that book, like, Little Lost Girl, whatever the hell that was. Um, little Lost Girl, whatever, never mind. So anyway, um, I, I decided at that point that I wanted to be a living nanny. I'd met some people at the treatment center at, at Brentwood, or maybe it was Wills Knighton, but um, I moved in with um, a roommate. They had a nice house, and you know, seemed to be a, a very nice family, moved in with them, and I was their nanny for their two-year-old child for a while. Uh, things did not go well there at all. Um, I knew I, there was a lot of abuse, and I, I knew that going into it, but I, for some reason I thought it was a great idea. And um, I watched him beat her to a pulp on multiple times but I still felt like I can't leave I need to to stay there but I left the day that it was bad he put a gun up to my head and uh said he was going to kill me if I called 911 because he had uh it was it was just this ugly. was the other lady it was not the child this was the wife he was beating the wife so yes. it was an adult beating in an my adult. room yeah I was just it was up. it was sick and the stuff that yeah. happened in that house was was horrific wow. Um, I left that day, but, uh, I don't know that, that really, really screwed me up. Um, I ended up, you know, my drinking just got, like I said, I quit doing all the, uh, illegal, I mean, not illegal, but the, uh, illicit drugs. I went on to beer and like my beer drinking just got completely out of hand super quick. You know, like in high school, I drink a couple of forties, but then this was turning into six packs, 12 packs and you know, whatever, whatever else. Um, but I got a DWI, and I, it was some, somewhere in my 20s, and uh, my my dad, like, shipped me off to Northwestern, like, got me a house, here's the keys, didn't talk to me for a couple of months, and just transplanted me in a whole other town. Geographic here. Absolutely. Let me tell you how well that worked. Uh -huh. um, no, so I was living in Natchitoches, and uh, I was going to Northwestern. Again, I did not. Did you ever go to the Pinnacle? Yes, I did. Yeah. My friend owned it. And so we were there constantly. Um, but, uh, yeah, so Natchitoches was a complete nightmare. And I was not doing well. I wasn't going to classes. I was on academic probation. But that had happened because I'd gotten a call um, that the, the people I worked for, she ended up murdering him. So uh, I was a uh, her star witness that, that pretty much saved her life. Um, and that was 
that also was horrifying. And um, going through that trial, and I, I thought that he would have, that their family would have some, I don't know, I just thought I would die, um, that they would, I don't know. Um, I was not doing well at that point at all. And I um, imagine. Yeah, the, 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 the trial, I mean, the lawyers, uh, detectives called me and I was doing depositions and all kinds of stuff. And at the trial, when after they gave the verdict, which was not guilty, you know, his family's uh, lawyer came up to me and was just like, I'm so sorry what happened to you. Because, like, there's so much I can't talk about. Oh, my gosh. Um, on, you know, about what happened in there. So... I was just like, thank you. Um, it, it scared the living hell out of me. But I ended up, you know, being on academic probation because that, that I just lost it. I couldn't complete my classes, nor did I withdraw. And um, I, it was just funky. I, I did not do well in school, but somehow I graduated. You know, I did have an F in this class, and I was trying to get my bachelor's in psychology. But anyway, I didn't. You know, and so I got a bachelor's in, in general studies and I came home and um, still just wrecked. Um, still uh, very much an alcoholic. I'm drinking every day. I had been drinking every day and uh, I just didn't know. I mean, I was just lost. It was like uh, I started a party when I was 15 years old that just stopped. didn't stop. How and old I, are you right now at this point in time? I am like, I'm not um, in the story. Yeah. 20, 20 something, 25 or no, 27. Okay. So I you moved say. along a little bit. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. Um, well, I have 30 minutes, so I just kind of, you know. <laughs> no, I get it. I get it. I'm just, <laughs> so everybody kind of follow timeline. Yeah. So, I mean, I got into a lot of like outside sales. I couldn't stand it because I'm not a salesperson. If you don't want, okay, bye. <laughs> you know? And so I pretty much just drank to get me through that. But this is the deal. You know, when I was in those uh, Brentwood and Willis Knight, they put me on Xanax. And so I was prescribed Xanax for for quite a while, like almost two stuff. decades. And wow. I'm drinking on it. I mean, and, and it was just blackout after blackout after blackout. And, and nothing about the blackout was like, man, that was weird. I'm never going to do that again. And so I just continued to use. I just thought that's what you did. I mean, yeah. I don't know why, because uh, it's absolutely just not what you do. And I couldn't understand what my life wasn't going places. By this time, all my friends were married. They all had kids. They all had badass jobs, and I had literally nothing. And so my self-pity and the fact that, like, I had nothing was paralyzing to me. I'm still having panic attacks. I'm drinking. Uh, I just want the panic attacks to go away because it is killing me. And I remember, you know, I'm talking to my mom and just saying, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I can't. I continue to drink. I moved down to New Orleans for a little oh, that's, while. That's a, oh, another, another geographical cure. Been um, there, but, done that. but that was, for, yeah. you know, I moved, I fell in love and moved down there. And, oh, yeah. um, that ended up not working out at all, but I tried to stay. And by that time, that's the heaviest I was drinking. And that yeah. way surpassed drinking a 12 pack a day. So, um, you know, lost, uh, I just, that, that brings up a good point or, um, cause I know a lot of times people think, Oh, I just drink beer. There's no way I'm an alcoholic. That was my, that was my liquor of choice. I love beer. 
Sowing jill Beer to, go, wine. And to you, go yeah yeah to to new orleans south louisiana okay i moved there in high school not to interrupt your story but this is the mentality of people down there my best friend i guess you could say he lives in nashville tennessee now i go to treatment i'm probably two years sober before i talk to him we ran around all through school together mm-hmm. and all that i call him he's like hey man lost touch with you what's going on i'm like well man went to rehab you know i got like two years now and don't drink and stuff and he's like he sat there for a long time, real quiet, and he was like, "You drink beer, don't you? Like that counts. <laughs> You're in the clear. That doesn't count, you know." And I was <laughs> like, "No." And I could hear him sitting there, honestly thinking, like, "Well, what does he drink if he can't? Yeah, you know, yeah. there's something he must be drinking. Like, there, it's just a different mentality." Mm-hmm. And uh, it really is. He was dead serious. Like, well, you just must just stick with beer or something. I mean, yeah, that, be fine it, if you stick so with that's that. not a great place. That's a gas on a fire to move no, down there. I and I was so. in a really bad place at that point. You know, my sister was like, "You need to come home. Why don't you watch my newborn, uh, oh. my baby?" Um, well, he's not baby. He's he's uh, eighteen. But um, I started watching Pierce for a year, and again, still drinking, still just everything and I by that time I was starting to introduce the substance other substances again you know I do a little bit of this illicit drug this one I had a procedure done and so opiates were reintroduced into my world and I I don't know if it was I, I just it made it gave me relief from my sadness from my my hopelessness and it made me happy and I started, I mean, I just started off taking just one, and then it, it, it skyrocketed so quickly into a, a, it, taking about a prescription a day. Yeah. Um, and I did that for, for, for quite a few years, and I was doing that while drinking more illicit substances, and my life was completely out of control. Um, I started having withdrawals. Withdrawals, I'd, I'd had those for a while. I was constantly, like, shaking <laughs> Um, and I, th- I was fooling myself into thinking, well, you don't have a problem, so you don't drink in the morning. But let me tell you what I was taking. A, hand- a handful of Xanax <laughs> yeah. and opioids. And, um, you know, if I felt like I needed to uh, chill out, I'd take, a, you know, some kind of muscle relaxer. If I felt like I'd get some more pep, I would take some, you know, amphetamines, whatever. I mean, I, I used everything. And uh, I started getting back into stimulants again because I just started seeing like, okay, this is what I need. Like, okay, I'm, I'm falling asleep. This is going to get me back up. And it just, it really was a nightmare. And, um, you know, just when I thought like things really couldn't get any worse in my life, I got involved with, uh, uh, with someone that just wasn't well either you know we did this partner swap thing which was really weird and we just like they went they the other couple went off and thrived and we just kind of like dug a hole for ourselves because we were both just using so much and and you know practically lived with them for for a while and um like swingers no no not like that like like y'all met the other partner and kind of decided we wanted date the, the other, other man. Yeah, it, it's weird. It's weird. Like, like, like back then, it sounded like a great idea. Remember, I'm alcoholic. Well, and yeah, pills. <laughs> I'm going down the list of. It made sense. You know, it made sense at the time. They weren't. You know, they they weren't as as bad off as I was, but it it, it was just kind of it was it was wrong and. um I got in a fight with him because I came, we were always scrounging money to, to buy a case and like split it and stuff like that. But uh, 
I don't know. He came home. I came home and he like drank all the beer, the whole case. I was so freaking mad. But anyway, I would. Yeah. I was so mad. And so I was like, well, I'll show you. And um, I didn't hear. I mean, he left all these messages on my machine, you know, machine. God bless. What year is this? Um, On my phone. I just didn't answer him. But the next day, you know, I got a call that he had killed himself. (gasps) And um, I mean, that's just where I like totally nosedived. And um, just just nosedived. I mean, I, I just don't. The next couple of years were un, intolerable, and I sunk in. I'd sunk to a place that I just didn't think I was going to come out of. Um, I was isolating. I was barely working, and I was very very ill. I'd gotten to a point where there wasn't enough substances to put into my body to keep it from withdrawing. I was then going through opioid withdrawals and I was vomiting the whole, the whole thing. And, uh, it it just, it was, it was insane. And so, um, I finally, my mom came over and, uh, she was, she was talking for a little bit. They were like getting really worried about me and she, she knew I was sick, but I was always going to be like, Oh, I had the flu or something. And, she went to walk out the door and I was just like, I just kind of whispered, I was like, I need help. And I didn't know what that meant at the time. Um, I had no idea what that what that meant. But um, she immediately was like, okay, we're getting you into treatment. We're going to do something right now. And so it, the uh, we called a couple of places and uh, they were able to get me in like on a Monday. So I had to like detox at my mom's house over the weekend. And I, I just sat there and shook. I was violently, violently ill and, um, just crying and I couldn't sleep and I couldn't eat and I couldn't do really anything. I was beating my arms because I was, my arms were so restless and I just kept punching them and, uh, eventually took me to treatment in, uh, February 15th, 2010, and uh, like I said, you know, wasn't exactly a fan, but it was, I came to the point where actually, you know, when you think about it, it was, I ran out of money, and like my yeah. dope man couldn't front me anything, and, and, and it just, I was like, why not? And I really didn't think that like I was going to actually get sober. I was going to be a detox only. My detox ended up being a lot longer than I thought it would would, uh, would be because um, I lied about how much Xanax and how long I'd been taking it. Um, so it was it was uh, quite a few weeks that I was detoxing, but um, I don't remember major uh, majority of that. And um, I just started doing whatever. I mean, I for the first time in my life, I was vomiting everything. I mean, just everything that I struggled with because I was like, I don't know why I. I just knew like something had to happen. And so I took advantage of it and I ended up, you know, from being a, a two weeker to staying in 106 days and something, something changed. And I'm, I'm really grateful for that. I never thought, I didn't know that you like people actually just like didn't drink or use drugs. Like you, would you just <laughs> like sit there? Like I, it just made no sense to me. I, I thought AA, you went there just to bitch about how bad everything sucked. I didn't think, like, people actually got sober because I visited AA once in 1995, and that's what I gathered. Um, But I don't know. um, I just took suggestions, 
and, and yeah, I struggled. I struggled really hard, you know, because uh, for using, you know, on a daily basis for, for a couple of decades, everything I thought was backwards, you know, I had so many cognitive distortions, um, you know, the blame, the justifying, the minimization, the denial, this so much. I, I just, it took a long time to peel back all those layers. And you know what? I'm still doing that. Sure. Because um, I really bullshit myself for a really long time. Um, but it, it saved my life. And like I said, I just took suggestions. You know, I did a lot of hardcore work on myself. But it ended up, they're like, okay, we suggest that you find a sponsor. I was like, eh, okay, you know, and, and, and start going through the steps, which I did. And you've heard about that. I struggled. I struggled really hard with, with you know, the spirituality aspect. Um, you know, anybody could look at my life and see that it was un, I was unmanageable and I was powerless. I never thought I would do the things that I was doing, Um I never thought I'd be that person in a pawn shop pawning all the family heirlooms. Um, that was me. And um, so, you know, they suggested a halfway house. I did that. I did that for nine months. And I got a sponsor, you know, worked the steps, but also made some pretty bad decisions. I got in a relationship immediately. He was in my small <laughs> group. And you know what? He was 12 years younger than me. <laughs> Wow. And uh, he was just a, just a beautiful little, little, a little, little. Person. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Stevie. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. Edge of 17. Right, right. So, uh, I mean, he was an adult. But anyway, um, barely. Uh, <laughs> that was a mistake. I stayed sober, but he did not. And, of course, he blamed me. And I was like, dude, whatever. You know, and I think after that breakup is when, like, I, that's when I kind of was like, okay. I really need to get serious about my recovery, like really serious. Cause that was like my first year of recovery. Like I was kind of just, eh, yeah, you know, doing, going through the motions, but that's when I really got serious about everything. Cause I knew that like my life depended on it. I knew I couldn't, I, I knew like, I, I can't, I can't go back there because for me, I know that I will die. There's really nowhere else that I could go. Um, I don't miss that life at all. I don't miss anything about it. I was constantly, you know, getting picked up or getting pulled over for all kinds of stupid stuff, you know. And 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 there was one night that I literally had a uh, aggravated assault and battery, destruction of private property, quite a few felonies against me um, that happened while I was in a blackout. I still to this day don't even know what happened, but it was ugly. It was real ugly, and I got beat up that night by a dude uh, really badly. Um, but guess what? I started it. <laughs> That's the kind of stuff I, I do. And um, punch my best friend in the face, a dude, right in the eyeball. I mean, it's just, it all sounds so idiotic. But it's, it would just seem so normal to me because that's just what I did. We just lived in chaos. It did. It was just always yeah. drama and chaos. And I was angry. I hated everything. Yeah. I hated everybody. If you just looked at me weird, I would want to fight you. And I was a fighter. I've been in a lot of fights. A lot. And, to, I just, you know, like what, what was that? But I tell you what was really cool was getting sober and actually finding, you know, what, what, 
finding me, finds what, you know, finding what made me happy and also um, finding my career path because that's huge. I never thought I would actually amount to something. You know, I, I had jobs and I had good paying jobs, but like I didn't want them and uh, like I didn't like them. Yeah. Like this is just work. And so uh, I ended up, you know, when I, in early sobriety applying for grad school and they actually denied me. They were like, your grades aren't high enough. Your GRE, your GPA is not high enough. And I sent in an appeal. The dean of the program called me and was like, I really want to talk to you. Dean of the psychology program. So I uh, got in over there and he was like, I read your letter and I see that you're sober and I think that's really awesome. And I think that you can do a hell, you know, a hell of a lot better than what you've done in the past because school didn't, I didn't care. Lots of F's, lots of F's. And uh, he said, I've been sober for over 20 years. Oh, that's a God thing. (laughs) I I can't believe I'm not crying. Every time I talk about it, I start crying because uh, I was like, really? So uh, I got into grad school. I got my master's in psychology. And then I went on to get licensed as an addiction counselor. And I've been doing that for the past, uh, well, I've been working in treatment centers since I got sober. So I work for the Department of Corrections. And I have a job that I love to go to every day because I get to do what I love to do. And it's help people get sober. And, and, and then that's what's so awesome. And I wanted you to tell that part is from where you went. To what you do today for a living and it's not a job anymore you know? it's not a job it's, i get to, it's, i feel like i get to hang out with people i would have yeah. hung out back in the day um and that's it, it, just like a, the biggest miracle because i'm everything that i wasn't people look at me and they're like you were doing what and they're like they don't believe me because i see this exterior and they're like you don't i was like uh-uh <laughs> <laughs> it's so it, this this program i think the best compliment any of us can get i have guys that are all the time work people in the same situation we all were and i talk to them and you know how we can talk on one-on-one with somebody like that and relay where we were at just like you just did for us you and then the guy looks at me and he goes man I, I understand what you're saying i believe you're telling me the truth but i can't see you acting or doing anything right. like that and i go believe me brother it happened yeah you know? right. but that's the best thing you could ever, somebody could ever say to me is i can't picture you doing yeah, that it is. and uh i said well the police have photos if you'd like to see them right. you know but uh, God bless. jill well, you're awesome what a uh, new person coming in the room i know we're running a little over our time here but uh you've been in this a little while you're 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 you you've you know it's changed your life as it has all all of us uh in this program everybody has just the miracle of it but coming in especially for women coming in i think women just have a harder time in general i think y'all are and i'm going to say this on the air i think y'all are for, as a group smarter than guys are y'all tend to way overthink more than, <laughs> yeah than oh well, we yeah do. we definitely yeah. overthink. and i, do, and I, do, I, do, I believe that for i mean sure. after having friends in the program um I've never been called an overthinker, okay, or thinker at all, pretty much. Uh, I don't do a lot of thinking. But uh, um, what would you say a, a, a young person, lady, new in the program, old, older person, but, you know, as as a female coming in, what would you what would you tell somebody curious about coming into to Alcoholics Anonymous? Well, I mean, I've done this on multiple occasions, doing some intervention work and and working with uh, and working with treatment centers. You know, I'm I'm really honest. You know, because I have helped a lot of people 
to getting treatment is is just like this saved my life you know and I, I tell them a little bit about my story you know this if you let this it will change your life if you do what's suggested of you it will save your life it'll be much better than you ever would have thought because if I would have I couldn't even there's no way I would have thought all this would have happened in my life no way I, I would have sold myself short in a, in a big way. And, and, and I have a, a life that's incredibly fulfilling. Um, but just like with anybody, you know, give it a shot. Like, what else do you have to lose? Because that's kind of stuff my counselor would say. She's like, what else do you have to do? Absolutely. You know, and, and she's like, you have nothing to go back to. And I'm like, you're right. And the, the turning point for you and your story and what I got was everything changed when you said to your mom, I need help. Yeah. And this whole deal, I have people call me all the time. They go, man, my brother, my son, whatever, he's doing all this stuff that we do. And I go, is he ready to, like, I don't, I don't I'm not even going to waste time. If that guy or that lady or whoever hasn't said, I need help, or they're ready to go to do whatever it takes, they're not ready. Yeah, and, and absolutely. it's a sad, bad thing to say, but as soon as those words come out of one of our mouths, there's a whole world of opportunity and people willing to jump in immediately and help. Yeah. And right. that's got to be the attitude. And like we've said before, yeah. like pain was a great motivator because I sure. literally was in physical pain, you know, and, and mental and, and emotional that I just, I knew I couldn't take much more of it. I, I knew I was standing right there like this is either going to either... I'm going to die because I knew I wouldn't have made it much longer. I just know that for a fact. I mean, I was like urinating brown and had just some yeah. weird things going on with my body that I knew was like, I'm not going to last much longer. Sure. Sure. Well, we appreciate you doing this. And uh, I, I say this a lot with people on here, but the thing I see as a common thread in sobriety in this program is someone like Jill or or Mike or Jennifer or any of the other people that we go that are not on here, y'all show up, you help other people, you help other people, you help other people, whether that's showing up to help at a meeting, to do whatever needs to be done, or showing up for this podcast, whatever that might be that's going to help spread the message, those people do it. So just keep that in mind, and uh, I think we reach the end. Thank you, Jill. You're very welcome. Thank you, Jill. Absolutely. And this is the Grouch and the Brainstorm. We'll